You are tuned to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Slowly but surely, the pandemic put a pause on many things that are now resuming. The crackdown on violators of a federal law who have yet to get off cesspools and onto more environmentally friendly systems is back in full swing. We talked to Amy Miller, who's with the Enforcement Division of the EPA's Region 9 office out of San Francisco. She starts off, though, assuring that the EPA is still moving ahead with its investigation of the fuel-contaminated tap water affecting neighborhoods using the Navy's water system, even though the Pentagon decided last week to shut the tank farm permanently. Absolutely not. Our investigation will continue, and in fact, we will have oversight responsibility for, for the closure along with the Department of Health. You're talking about closures. The EPA has been trying to crack down on uh, violators uh, you know, when it comes to the use of cesspools. And you have been going after some large capacity uh, cesspool owners. I think this year you went after, I think, some family trusts, profits, LLCs, you know, on Kauai, on the Big Island. Last year, I think you went after the Department of Land and Natural Resources and the public library system. So it's a mix of of, uh, owners. Yeah. So first, I I just want to explain what are cesspools and why they are, are harmful. So cesspools are used throughout Hawaii for the disposal of untreated sanitary waste discharge of raw, untreated sewage to a cesspool can contaminate ocean streams and groundwater by releasing disease-causing pathogens and nitrates. Pathogens found in untreated sewage can impact human health, and including exposure caused by drinking water contamination or swimming in contaminated water. Nitrates can also damage land and aquatic ecosystems and coral reefs. So um, protecting Hawaii's communities and precious water resources is really important in enforcing the ban for large-capacity cesspools. So the large-capacity cesspools are basically, they are the larger ones that serve multiple dwellings or community or regional systems, and they dispose of untreated sanitary waste or non-residential cesspools that have the capacity to serve more than 20 people. They receive basically sanitary waste, and EPA banned the construction back in 2000, and then after 2005, they're no longer allowed to uh, exist. So we've been working hard since then to make sure that people are aware of this ban. Um, We've been also going out and conducting inspections and and taking enforcement actions, and we've been, been very much working across all of the islands to make sure that people are aware and also making sure that that we are out and inspecting on each of these islands and ensuring that the large owners are closing down these cesspools. So we want to encourage the public, if they are aware of large capacity cesspools, we we have a tip line, 415-947-4510. We get a lot of tips through that line, as well as on our website, www.echo.epa.gov. You can can, can report a, a, a tip, and we will follow up. But yes, we've recently um, had a variety of settlements um, on the island of Kauai with Hale Kauai, which is in Kaloa. We've also had settlements in Oahu, uh, Halona Pacific, out at Campbell Industrial Park. And then uh, we have several enforcement actions out on the Big Island, Chico Takahashi Family Unlimited Partnership and David Basque Trust. With all of these settlements, our goal is to get these large capacity cesspools closed. And because so much time has passed since the ban, they are penalized with a penalty. But again, our primary goal is to get them closed. And in previous years, you know, uh, I think you went after a school, a library, uh, you know, the Department of Land and Natural Resources, I think also even the county on the Big Island. And, and these are what categories of property owners, because you figure that what there, there are probably many others. We have very much focused on, on the larger property owners. And one of the things we try to negotiate is a large scale audit so we can maximize the benefit of, of the settlement, and those have been quite effective. What if, let's say, there's a property owner out there or a user, you know, let's say a farmer that is being required to get off a uh, cesspool? What do you advise them at this point? We very much encourage 
voluntary action and encourage you to work with, with your county to figure out options on a proper sanitary treatment. There's different options available. We've been working very closely with the county of Hawaii in looking at basically island-wide what are the wastewater needs. And, you know, the county of Hawaii has the most cesspools and large capacity cesspools. And so for us, trying to come up with, with ways in which to get those closed as quickly as possible has has been a priority. And, you know, the wastewater issue has been in the headlines recently. You know, we had a couple of bribery scandals break here this year. And looking ahead, there is the campaign to get residential homeowners to get off cesspools. And that deadline is down the road. You know, we are working very closely with the Department of Health. We're part of the Hawaii Cesspool Conversion Work Group. EPA is also providing funding to the Hawaii Department of Health through our Clean Water Act and Safe Drinking Water Act state revolving funds. And then also recently with the addition of the bipartisan infrastructure law, which increased significantly the amount of money coming to Hawaii. Hawaii will be receiving an additional $68 million on top of the $23 million that, that they already received. And so we've been providing technical support and how to utilize these funds. Uh, for instance, in Kauai County, Hawaii Department of Health has a pilot. Uh, they're developing a residential cesspool conversion program, and they're going to be ut- utilizing EPA funds for this program that will provide direct funding to home- homeowners to replace these cesspools with septic system. So EPA strongly supports pilots like these. And then, as I mentioned before, we've been working with the county of, of to do an asset management plan and look at how to expand sewer in the county of Hawaii. And part of that is with mapping of cesspools throughout the island. A lot of great projects going, going on that I think will really help meet the goal the 2050 goal to close all cesspools. And, and the idea is that, you know, at, at this stage of the game, to provide incentives for homeowners to switch over before we get to fines down the road. Yeah, we all want cesspools closed, and we would prefer to do it with the carrot rather than the stick, but we will, with respect to the large capacity cesspools, we will be doing our part in ensuring that those ones are closed. You know, I, I, I just want to underscore the, the bipartisan infrastructure law is a real once-in-a-generation once opportunity to re- make meaningful changes in the wastewater systems in, in Hawaii. This is a great opportunity to meet the goals of the state in, in meeting the ban of 2050 of all cesspools. And EPA is going to work very closely with the state and the counties to help make that happen. And we're really looking forward to working with everyone on meeting this ban. That was EPA's Amy Miller talking to us about efforts to get property owners to comply with federal law and get off cesspools and move into more environmentally friendly systems. This is The Conversation on statewide, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Time now for your Backyard Quiz. In today's Backyard Quiz, we are thumbing through the archives to spotlight the achievements of noted Hawaiian actress, comedian, hula dancer, and singer Huli Hilo Hari, born Carissa Haile 
1901, she was recognized globally as a prominent ambassador of Aloha. Her lengthy career spanned almost six decades. She was known for the jaunty tunes that blended local Hawaiian humor with elements of vaudeville, such as the Hilo Hop and the Cockeyed Mayor of Kanakakai. In addition to releasing a number of musical and comedy albums on the Columbia and Decca record labels, Hilo Hattie also enjoyed fame on the silver screen. Between 1942 and 1961, she appeared in eight films, including the war film Suicide Battalion and her final film, Blue Hawaii, where she appeared on the big screen with the king himself, Elvis Presley. For today's quiz, we want to know the title of her first movie. Here's a hint. It was a musical economy, a comedy. Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one uh, to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. He wore a lake and he wore a smile. He drank a gallon of boat to make life worthwhile. He made him laugh till he made him cry. He was Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareed Hawaii, which is committed to supporting nonprofits dedicated to strengthening family relationships, such as parents and children together. NareedHawaii.com. residents aren't saving enough for retirement. That's according to a report from the Hawaii Retirement Savings Task Force. HBR's Casey Harlow is here to explain. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. Uh, so a report from the Hawaii Retirement Savings Task Force uh, and the technical side of things was led by the Pew Charitable Trust. Uh, it found in 2020 about 92,000 senior households had uh, about less than $75,000 in retirement income. So that's like your retirement savings, your Social Security, things like that, that you kind of sock away and, you know, that will be your retirement plan that you live off of. Obviously, with uh, inflation and the cost of living here, that is not enough, especially when you take into account that people in Hawaii are living longer and uh, there are definitely, um, you know, more people retiring. But uh, based on these uh, current savings and demographic trends, uh, the report estimates by like 2040, 57% of seniors or retirees will have less than that. And so that's kind of causing like a big uh, issue uh, that state lawmakers want to address right now. Uh, and I spoke with John Scott, who's the head of the Pew Charitable Trust Retirement Savings Project, which helped the state uh, task force uh, with their studies and everything else. And he had this to say where it was basically if this holds true, it's a hypothetical at this point. We still have 20 years uh, on this estimate that they gave. Uh, this could add an extra financial burden to the state, and not only that, taxpayers. When people don't have enough in retirement savings, or they don't have a pension, or the Social Security is inadequate, they're much more likely to make claims on government, both federal, state, and local, to supplement their retirement income. So in the report, it does a study making a comparison between a hypothetical situation where everybody's saving enough for their retirement and the actual situation where people aren't saving enough. And it estimates that based on that gap in savings, that Hawaii over a 20-year period is facing social assistance costs of $1.7 billion. And obviously that is a huge chunk of change. And especially when you take into account that we're already seeing uh, labor shortfall uh, here in the state. And not only that, but there's still uh, what is dubbed the brain drain, where people uh, are just leaving the state because they could find better opportunities elsewhere. But uh, state senators, state lawmakers are wanting to address this by creating a state-sponsored retirement savings program. It's basically a, a payroll deduction enrollment uh, for private sector workers whose employer may not offer 
uh, retirement plan. And this is S- Senate Bill 3289. This passed out of the Senate last week and is going to be heard uh, with several House committees uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, Scott says that several states have already implemented such a program, and he kind of gives a rundown of how this would work. But if you're at a job that doesn't offer retirement benefits, you would be automatically enrolled into this savings program, and you would start saving at a default contribution rate, like 5% of your paycheck. It would go into an IRA that is yours, and it would follow you around from job to job. And you could opt out at any time. You could change your contributions, higher or lower. But the idea is to get people into the saving system when they don't have an opportunity through their job, um, because we know that payroll-based savings is hugely effective in building up these retirement accounts over time. And that we also know from a lot of behavioral research that people don't sign up for retirement plans or they don't open up IRAs uh, at their local bank. And Scott says that, you know, this measure is based on several other states who pass such a kind of a savings program, such as like California and Oregon. And in places like Oregon, he says there it is finding success. You know, people are in, uh, contributing between 120 and $150 uh, from their paycheck uh, for these Roth IRAs uh, for these retirement savings plans. And didn't we try and do this before? There was a bill to try and get this thing started? Exactly, yes. Uh, so last year, uh, the task force was created. Uh, they tried to address this uh, once again. Um, but uh, I think they want lawmakers wanted to better understand where uh, retirement savings is in the state. And so this is kind of the basis of the whole report where they uh, figured out like, well, you know, obviously there's not enough people uh, saving. So we need to uh, come up with a solution or come up with an idea. And obviously uh, with Oregon passing a law such as this, it kind of sparked uh, some, you know, brainstorming of just like maybe we could – uh, produce something like this here, and maybe that'll benefit people. Uh, but there is opposition to this. Um, Cynthia Takanaka testified on behalf of the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors during a Senate Labor Committee hearing last month. Uh, that's when the bill was first heard. A lot of cons- uh, there was a lot of agreement that retirement was is important, but uh, there is concerns as far as what it will take for the state to kind of stand up such a program. This program will also take two years to implement. Uh, The first year is 800,000. Years thereafter is approximated at 650,000 to operate. Pew found that the cash flow positive will be in year seven and net positive in year 11. The loan will probably come from state's general funds and repayments could fall back on taxpayers. So we still feel that state resources for education and outreach should be done before before implementing this costly state-run program. She also notes that uh, because in Roth IRA, um, revenues that are uh, generated through that, when you put uh, money away into a Roth IRA account, that is considered an asset. So then that could put uh, lower-income households at a disadvantage if they're taking out, um, you know, state benefits or federal benefits as well. So there is there could be consequences to that as well. But we'll see because right now it's moving through the state legislature and there is a lot of support behind this. Okay, so made the crossover. We'll see what happens. Exactly. All right. Thanks so much, Casey. That was HPR Casey uh, reporter Casey Harlow. You can check out the story on hawaiipublicradio.org. Lou Civil Beats, Anita Hofschneider, joins us today for uh, our reality check. She has a story about the price of paradise, the price across the Pacific, as fuel costs are skyrocketing. Good morning, Anita. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, what did you find as you were uh, poking around on this issue? Because everybody's noticing the numbers go up at the gas station. 
That's right. So, I mean, this is a problem that's global. It's definitely not limited to Hawaii or the Pacific region. But we thought we'd take a look at what's happening here because it is something that really affects a lot of people. I spoke with a, a woman who works at the Ala Moana Hotel, and she's been there for more than 30 years and drives to and from Eva Beach, um, you know, almost every day. And she is really seeing a huge difference in her, her gas bill. And I think that's something a lot of commuters across the state are experiencing. And so what I found was that, you know, this has been um, going up, these prices have been going up due to a several different factors, you know, inflation, um, supply chain challenges. And most recently, you know, the war in Ukraine has also helped drive up the prices. Yeah. And, uh, you know, shipping is a big issue across the Pacific, you know, because a lot of these island communities rely on uh, goods to be brought in uh, by the big boat, these big vessels. Exactly. And so one thing to keep in mind about this is that it doesn't just affect people who are, you know, car commuters. It affects everybody in our islands because, you know, there are so many, everything that we rely upon, um, on our islands has something to do with shipping, you know, to a large extent. So Matson told me that they are increasing their fuel surcharge uh, by 7.5% next month for Hawaii, Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands, and the Federated States of Micronesia. So there's a huge chunk of the Pacific that is seeing these cost increases. And they were saying that their majority of their customers are retail companies that ship everything from clothing to building materials and food to the islands. And so there could be a trickle-down effect that we May, that consumers may eventually see. Yeah, I mean, gosh, on top of everything else, right? It's like <laughs> you thought it was bad. It's going to get worse. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, that seems to be the case. That's what a lot of people are anticipating. Matson also serves some countries in the South Pacific, and they said this particular rate increase is not going to affect those countries. But already, you know, some of those countries and their economies are preparing for this. So I was reading in the Fiji Times that their economy minister uh, was warning that the war on Ukraine could drive price increases over the next six months to a year. So these might be increases that you might not be seeing right away, although we are already seeing some of them right away, but we should expect to see in the coming months. You know, in my neighborhood uh, here on Oahu, I mean, I saw the price of gas go up uh, over $5, you know, uh, for premium. Uh, two weeks ago when I bought, it was under 5 bucks, but uh, it's it's creeping up. And I can, you know, just feel for the folks on the neighbor islands who have farther to drive and, and the price of, uh, price of the pump, it's just going up. Exactly. And so, you know, there are um, I know a lot of higher prices on the neighbor islands. Um, and so one of the potential solutions that you know, people are looking at are ways in which to have our energy be less reliant on petroleum. So uh, you may not realize this, but Hawaii is this, the most petroleum-dependent U.S. state. And residents consume about 12 times more energy than the state produces. And so, you know, looking at Hawaii's 100% renewable energy goal and trying to find ways in which, you know, we can make our transportation less oil dependent. Um, those are all potential solutions that people I spoke with were discussing. But unfortunately, in the short term, the Hawaii State Energy Office says the, the only short term solution is really just to try to conserve energy and, you know, try to, you know, limit your your driving and your, your use of that energy to the extent that you can. Yeah, it may push people uh out of their, you know, gas guzzlers and and uh, thinking more about getting an electric car. Exactly. Unfortunately, electric vehicles are are quite expensive. You know, the the woman I spoke with who works at the Alamona Hotel said she was looking at buying one, but you know, she couldn't afford the monthly payment. And so, trying to find a ways to make those types of vehicles and options more affordable for people is still, you know, an area of growth. And so, gosh, we just have to I guess what Suck it up. I mean, you know, we've already been told that our uh, our power bills are going to go up as well. Um, we, you know, those are going up. Um, you know, the Hawaii State Energy Office has a list on their website of you know different suggestions for conserving energy, and so and also Hiko has been uh, making suggestions for how people can also save on their electric bills. But it is really hard. And in the in the short term, you know, people who rely on, you know, cars for commuting, people who need to use a lot of electricity, they definitely are going to get hit hard. Yeah. And people, you know, may not realize that uh, the price of the pump includes state taxes um, and county taxes. So we'll see if there's any rollback there. 
Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, we've been talking with Anita Hofschneider with today's Reality Check. You can read her story at civilbeat.org. Support for HPR comes from YAKL Water in Hilo, offering alkaline water, featuring aluminum bottles, and spouted boxes designed for filling personal water bottles. Subscriptions at yakea.com. Kremlin-produced propaganda has Russia in a stranglehold. When you confront people with these horrific images of uh, cities like Kharkiv, which looks exactly like my neighborhood in Moscow, they will just repeat what the state propaganda is telling them, that there is no war. Also, a Ukrainian gamer navigates to safety using skills he learned online on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Beginning this evening at 7, following The Body Show. Support for HPR comes from Costco Air Conditioning and Refrigeration, serving Hawaii since 1961, featuring Daikin Air Conditioning Systems. Listing of contractors who installed Daikin products at CostcoHawaii.com. since the main downtown branch of the Hawaii State Library opened its doors for the first time in two years. Other branches have been opened. Stacey Aldrich is head librarian for the state system. She talked to us about the snapshot of services available to patrons. There's full access as long as you can show a um, vaccination card and you have to mask. You have full access to finding books, using computers, sitting and reading. Are there limited services? Are you, you know, limited to how long you can be on the computers and that kind of thing? Right now, it's two sessions for 60 minutes. And again, if you're doing something that you need additional time, you can always talk with the librarian. The only thing we haven't done a lot of is programming yet. Hopefully in April, you'll start to see more programs available, in-person programs. We're working on all of our guidance for staff right now, and we'll have more information on our website about some of the changes that people will see. You you just opened the main library recently, and that was Mm -hmm. kind of a big deal. Talk about what the response has been like. Oh, people are so happy. (laughs) People are just so happy they can come back in and browse the shelves and use the computers and and just sit in the library. I think that library is such an inspirational place for people to be that I think they missed being able to sit in the courtyard and read or just browsing the stacks. I love browsing stacks. I get so excited because there's so many stories and so much to learn. So I think a lot of people missed it. So they're really happy to be back. You've got the periodicals and I know for a time there, I think you'd stopped accepting donations for the swap table. We have so many donations right now. Um, We're working with our friends of the Library of Hawaii who usually work with us or sometimes the local friends groups. But because of the pandemic, we're a little behind. And so we're not quite accepting all donations yet, but that will be something people will see in the future returning. During the pandemic, as the libraries were closed, I mean, that was an opportunity to do a renovation on uh, some of the libraries. And and there are still a few libraries that are still not open for business yet. Yeah, we were so excited to open the Lily Haas Public Library and show people the amazing new library. It just looks so different from what it was before. And we created a new Chinese reading room, and it's just so much more open. We're very excited about Lily Ha. We're working on, we're still working on Macaulay. We've completed the roofing project and the solar panel project. And internally right now, we're working on the floors and um, doing some internal improvements. So We'll be putting in a new reference desk. There's going to be a new interactive children's area. They, they call it the pit. It's kind of a weird thing to call it. But in the children's area, there's this, like, this carpeted area. We're going to make that a little more interactive. Um, so we're just in the process of getting all of those projects done. And so we're really hoping that we can um, be back and open to the public. We're targeting by the end of May. And what about the other libraries that are closed? I think there's Waimea. That project is a little bit behind Again, um, what we're running into are some supply chain issues, and I'm not sure the latest update is. I'm, I'm not even sure we know yet. We, we thought that would be done sooner than later. We don't have the timeline yet. Again, Kahului has uh, been an ongoing project for us. We've um, wrapped up on 
the um, internal AC system and repairing the ceilings. And we were slowed down with the rest of our projects, which again are to improve the space inside the library. Those were behind too because of uh, supply chain issues and also staffing issues within the state and our ability to move forward on, on contracts. So there's new staff coming on board. So we'll have the support we need to, to move forward um, on Kahului. How did we do with our ebooks over the pandemic? Oh, amazing. I'm so happy so many people found ebooks. For a second year in a row, we um, circulated more than 1.1 million ebooks were circulated by November of this past year, which was a little bit more. We searched just a few more than we did the year before, but it was more than a million. So we've gone two years in a row with more than 1 million circulation. And um, we're excited because um, uh, our ebook platform, which is called Overdrive, but many people use Libby, the app, to read. You also now have access to magazines, and um, we're working on adding uh, additional access to music lessons. It's called Artist Works, and so you'll be able to, for free, be able to um, take courses on how to play uh, ukulele or a guitar. Um, so we're very excited that's coming soon. Any particular challenges for the Library for the Blind? The Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, they changed their name at the national level, too. It, it is a, a mail service, so the patrons who are subscribed to the service uh, receive everything through mail. And so we've continued to provide access to materials throughout the pandemic to, to our patrons. I think what we would love to have everyone know is that there is this library that is available for any family members that a person might have who have challenges with reading or um, standard print or have physical challenge that, challenges that, um, that make it hard for them to read standard print. Um, the Library for the Blind and Print Disabled provides access to reading of whatever materials people want to have access to in books. And it is, again, by mail. And um, we have information on um, our homepage has a little button called Library for the Blind and Print Disabled, and all the information is there. But we know there are a lot of people out there who don't know about the service, and we'd love for them to take advantage of it. The library system used to be a resource, like if you were doing your taxes or if you wanted to get your passport. So uh, how are those services uh, post-pandemic, or at least in this phase mm-hmm. of the pandemic that we're in? Well, we're slowly bringing those back. We have been working with local groups to provide tax assistance. So we usually have information posted on our website if there is tax assistance available. And again, we've had a few programs. With um, passports, we've started passports up again. And right now you can call and make an appointment. We're still at, I think, two days a week at the Hawaii State Library, but hopefully we'll be opening up that um, service more. So we're slowly opening up again. Um, And again, if you would like to get a new passport, the Hawaii State Library can help you do that now. As you started to open, your staff was probably having to deal with patrons that were not happy about the mask mandates or the vaccine card requirement. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, and then also just dealing with our mentally ill population. How's that going? It's still a challenge um, for our staff, and I would say it's more of a challenge for the next couple of weeks because in the counties, the rules are different. So on Oahu, you don't have to show your vaccination card anymore in restaurants, but because we're a state agency, we still have to follow the emergency proclamation, which is confusing to people. And so it's been a challenge. People think that we don't want to serve them or we're being discriminatory, and that's not our intent. Again, responsible for following the emergency proclamation and, and helping to support the health of our communities. Um, if people can't come into the library because they haven't been tested within the past 72 hours and have a negative COVID test or they don't have vaccination cards, we are more than happy to help people at the door. So staff will find books and check them out to people. They'll answer any questions people might have. And then if you need technology, we have Chromebooks that we can give to you to use outside um, on our Wi-Fi. So you still have access to technology if you need access. So we're doing everything we can to continue to provide support. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to March 26th when people don't have to come in. I think you know one of the biggest challenges has been that staff are are doing their job and and people have not been kind and we do our best to to serve everybody and it can be very frustrating on all accounts 
we know not everybody agrees, but we're doing the best we can. And we really appreciate all the wonderful patrons who have been so patient and supportive of the library as we've all been in this transition of the pandemic. And it's been extra work for the staff. They're there to um, provide service and help people and they've had to stand at the door and check cards. So it's extra work that they would prefer to really help you figure out you know, what book you're looking for or help you with a question or help you figure out how to do something um, on the internet versus having to check somebody's card. But at the same time, we know that was important as we've been going through the pandemic so that we can make sure we're all healthy and safe. All right, we just ask uh, uh, for people's kokua as we mm-hmm. make this transition. Yeah, absolutely. We totally appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That was Stacy Aldrich, Hawaii State Librarian, talking with us about the transition at libraries across the island as COVID restrictions relax. Look for updated information on library services online next week or call your uh, branch library for info. is the conversation on listener-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Astronomer Christopher Phillips joins HBR's Dave Lawrence with an update on planetary exploration returning to our sister planet, Venus. There are three new missions in the works. Here's your Monday Stargazer. Stargazer Time, our weekly exploration of what's happening in the world of astronomy, also things we can try and spot in our own dark skies. As usual, we are thrilled and grateful to have the support and expertise of astronomer Christopher Phillips. And wouldn't you know it, we've got him on the line right now. Hey, Chris, welcome back. What is in store this week? Hey, Dave. Good to be back. So this week, stargazers look out for Venus in the morning sky before sunset. It is visible in the east and is very bright and easy to spot. The moon this week will begin to wane from its full phase, and so its bright presence in our night sky will lessen towards week's end. And we are headed on an exciting journey this week, folks, a return to Venus. Indeed. For the past few years, it seems that Mars, and to a lesser extent the moon, have been stealing the limelight in regards to planetary exploration. (laughs) This has left Venus watchers no doubt feeling a little neglected. Well, fear not, because our sister planet is about to become a bustling hub of exploratory efforts, with three new missions in development that will return our attention to this mysterious world. Considering all the stuff happening here on Earth, who's going to be flying the missions? Well, it's both NASA and ESA, the European Space Agency. They will both be sending spacecraft to Venus around five years from now. Two of these will be dedicated to mapping the surface of Venus and studying the surface composition using high-resolution radar imaging. The third mission is an orbiter that will deploy an atmospheric probe that will enter the atmosphere of Venus and figuratively touch, taste, and smell the Venusian atmosphere. (laughs) And it's not going to be bringing back little samples from that atmosphere, huh? No, not this time. As you know, Venus is an incredibly hostile planet. The surface temperature is high enough to melt lead. The atmospheric pressure at the surface would crush most probes in an instant. And then, of course, on top of that, you have the corrosive Venusian atmosphere that would eat away all but the hardiest probes. So right now, we're sticking to space and the high atmosphere. As we have noted many times here on the program, Mr. Phillips, not a place that folks are likely going to be wanting to head to vacation in the future. (laughs) Yeah, I'd cross it off my list if I were you. (laughs) However, plans are being drawn up to build a lander that can survive on the surface of Venus. So we will get to see this planet up close and personal sometime in the near future. And we'll count on you to bring us that story. Christopher Phillips, another fascinating stargazer. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Dave. And I'm Dave Lawrence. We'll catch you next week. And you can look for Stargazer at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Stargazer comes from Ferraro Choi, designing more than 2,000 projects since 1988, committed to environmentally sustainable architecture and interior design. FerraroChoi.com. Earlier in the show, we highlighted noted Hawaiian actress, comedian, hula dancer, and singer Clarissa Hiley, properly known as Hilo Hattie. 
While celebrated primarily as a musician, you may have seen her in vintage Hawaii Five-O episodes. She also appeared on the big screen over her six-decade career. Her film work ranged from serious war movies to casual flicks depicting laid-back lifestyle. Hattie's presence injected a whimsical warmth that reflected her true-to-life personality. While 1948's Miss Taddock's Millions and 1953's City Beneath the Sea are relatively unknown today, Hawaii's final film endures as one of the most iconic set in Hawaii. In 1961, Hilo Hattie appeared alongside the king of rock and roll himself, Elvis Presley, in the musical comedy Blue Hawaii. It was 20 years earlier that she made her film debut in the 1942 musical comedy Song of the Island, starring Betty Grable, which was the answer we were looking for. And congrats to Mendy Hansen from Hilo. You got it right. She shares that she listens to the show every day. Well, thank you for listening. If you have an idea for a quiz, uh, please send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You know, there is one band from Hawaii that will be playing the upcoming 2022 South by Southwest Musical Festival in Texas. Local indie pop group Ragamuffs. The festival is huge, with over 150,000 people attending the last time that it was held in person back in 2019. HBR's Zoe Dim talked with the band. Their indie music blends pop, folk, shoegaze, and lo-fi to take you from cool blue serene to rhapsodized skipping on a mustard day. If you have heard that song before, you probably heard it in a Zippies commercial. That track was called Sunset Chaser, and it was written and performed by local indie pop band Ragamuffs. I'm here with Haley Finesse, a.k.a. the creative brain and founding member of Ragamuffs, and Ryan Mirishiro, who will be performing in the live band as the lead guitarist. So how did you guys react when you first found out that you would be able to perform at South by Southwest Music Festival? I'm excited, a little nervous, but... I feel like everyone has a little bit, like, their stories are a little bit different. I know it's going to be chaotic. That's been the common thread. (laughs) Like, it's just kind of chaotic being an artist playing there um, and also attending it. So, I don't know. I want to be excited. I'll probably get excited closer to the day, but I'm I'm a little stressed right now. (laughs) So, I looked up some stats, and last time the South by Southwest Music Festival took place in person in 2019, there were over 100,000 attendees, and now... Ragamuffs are going to be performing in front of this huge crowd. So I kind of want to know how you got here, Haley. How did you get into music? I got into music at a very young age. When I was five years old, I joined um, Royce Akuma. My family put me in lessons there, playing ukulele growing up. I started playing guitar maybe after five years of hanging out around there and then started taking lessons at Hawaii Music Works. And then I just kept music around. I was really into, like, performing for my family and all of that. Um, I played music in church for a long time and then started writing after that, after kind of watching local bands in the Chinatown music scene. Um, I was really inspired to write originals. I was probably, it was sometime in college when I took it more seriously. I think I always tried to write, but I was so hard on myself, thinking, like, none of these sound good. Um, But it wasn't until college when I started to write more because I started trying it out at open mics and then um, the very first song I would consider that I wrote was the complaints and extra coffee sane songs tell me about the creative process of making a song yeah I think every song is so different every time people ask this I think they probably want to hear like some kind of structured way that I write, which is funny because I, I think they're all really different. Um, some of them, like the first project, I wrote a lot with um, my former music partner, Joe. So credit to him for a lot of that stuff, too. He would start the music on guitar and rhythm guitar and then 
kind of throw some lyrics together we would go back and forth and talk about like okay what are we trying to convey in this song and that's where i came in and i did a lot of the polishing and i took the simple i guess form of um the lyrics that he was trying to say and then i just like played around with words and tried to make it more poetic and everything and i feel like i'm more yeah i i write most of the melodies and then the guitar riffs some other tracks that i've been doing recently I'll jump on Logic and like go back and forth um, and experiment with sounds because I don't know, it's cool to kind of do production while you're writing, at least for me. But then other songs, sometimes I really like having the music kind of already down in the structure and then putting lyrics after and then driving around and then playing it through my aux cable and then like kind of freestyling stuff over it and using my iPhone to record. So, very different. Right now, I've been more into.、Um, Like just having the music structure down first and then doing the lyrics after. Ryan, how did you join Ragamuffs as the lead guitarist? And then I'll ask Haley about the other members of the live band. Oh, I'm actually on the recording、uh, on the album, but not. On guitar. So, on the song Mexican Mango, I play trumpet. So, I've been friends with the band for a while, and I booked them early on when I was、um, entertainment director for this organization called Art and Flea. And I booked them when they were a two piece under the name Sir Ragamuffin and the Lady. And I booked them at the zoo, <laughs> at the Honolulu Zoo. And that was my first time seeing them. Okay, so there are three other key members in the live band. Haley, can you tell me more about them? There are a lot of friends that I've like known for a minute. So, Ryan on lead guitar, and then Tony on bass. And like the music scene here is just a huge family, so I feel like everyone knows each other from someone else. Who else are we on? Locke. Locke. Okay, so Locke, I knew for a while. It's funny because when we met her, or when we were internet stalking her, <laughs> we were like, oh my god, like this girl has so many followers. Like, She's not gonna think we're any good. She's not gonna wanna play with us. So we were a little intimidated to confront her and like, like see if she would be down to jam because she was also kind of in this other band at the time. And then when we met her, like everything fell into place because she loves the same type of music, which is really cool. And so we bonded over that. And then Annalise, we play shows together a bunch in her band called The Mob. So we've just been good friends, and、um, I asked her to hop up on vocals, backing me up, and on the organelle now. We're good friends, like outside of music, too. How do you communicate to your live band members what you want from them musically? <laughs> Ryan's laughing at me because that's hard. <laughs> How do I communicate? So I think it's interesting because my background in music was like, I didn't learn a lot of music theory, I didn't learn. How to read notes, but I feel like my main form of communicating is just like show and tell. <laughs> so, like sharing the recordings or demos that I have recorded, and then thankfully everyone knows how to play by ear. Or, like, I, it's funny because Ryan breaks down what I have musically into like these more technical terms. It, it's cool to hear because I'm like, yeah, yeah, what he said. And I'll just be like, play it like this. Doo, 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 doo. And he'll be like, oh, you're playing this chord. I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because I will play like, I play by ear mostly. And I like, like kind of try, I try to keep it open where、um, everyone can kind of add their own flavors to it since、um, the tracks itself were recorded by several different people. So I'm like, I also want you guys to enjoy what you're playing <laughs> and show off like your skills, you know? You guys will be playing in Texas at the South by Southwest Music Festival on March 15th, which is coming up soon. How are you guys preparing for that? We are just rehearsing two times a week.、Uh, my mind has personally been on trying to fund everything. Because for this, I pulled from like royalty stream money to pay for everyone's flights and hotels and basically everything that South by doesn't cover, which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That has to take up a lot of your energy and time. Is there any advice you would like to give to people who are serious about having a music career in Hawaii? Growing up in Hawaii's music scene and you know, being involved with lots of different 
pockets of musicians and types of music. You know, I feel uh, Hawaii suffers a lot from kind of like a little sibling kind of complex. Like we're always kind of fighting to, you know, be recognized and be seen, which really shouldn't be the case. I mean, especially nowadays with the internet. I mean, how everything is very global. But we've always had phenomenal musicians and creative people. Well, my take on that is just don't conform. And I think... It's good to be a little different because, yeah, just freaking make music that you want. Be weird. Um, dig deep for your music and, like, think, like, beyond the islands, I feel like. Dream bigger than that because there's so many cool opportunities. Yeah, it's about finding your community. And maybe that community is not where you currently live. I think the most valuable asset you have is your authenticity and to be the, the most you that you can be. That was Ryan Miyashiro and Haley Finesse from the local band Ragamuffs. They were talking with HPR's Zoe Dim. The group plays the South by Southwest Music Festival in Texas tomorrow. On the next Fresh Air, we welcome back Seth Meyers, the host of NBC's Late Night with Seth Meyers, a former head writer and anchor of SNL's Weekend Update, and now the author of a new children's book called I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. Join us. Beginning this afternoon at 3, following On Point. Well, that does it for us today. Tomorrow we hear from a Hawaii scientist, one of several global experts weighing in on Japan's plan to begin releasing radiation-contaminated water into the Pacific Ocean next year. What do you think about the idea? Call our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Miss something and want to listen back to something you heard today? All of our shows are archived. Find them on the conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. We will be back tomorrow with more of the conversation.